So hey, Liverpool One Church, it is great to see you today. We're in the third part of our current series called The Holiday Hangover. You know, if you were maybe not with us in service last weekend, we had um, a conversation that got a little bit crabby because we were speaking about lobsters and for a lot of people it felt a little bit strange and a little bit weird for approximately 20 minutes. But we got there in the end and we learned last week that like, if there's one thing that you've just got to do this year, and let's be honest, we're still in that time of the year where people are making, and some of us are even at the stage where we're breaking our New Year's resolutions, right? But, but we're still in that stage, that early part of the year where we're already thinking and planning and scheming and making preparations for how the end of the year is gonna be better than how it starts. So last week we were speaking about this idea about how you've just gotta do this one thing. You've gotta build this healthy daily habit of learning the art of spending time in the presence of God and as a result of that you feel like you can stand up straight with your shoulders back strong. But I guess that today what we wanna do is not talk about something that you should do, We wanna talk about something that is so important that you do not do. In fact, we wanna kind of have just a friendly conversation and say, whatever you do in 2019, don't do this one thing that we're gonna talk about in today's subject matter. Because if you do this one thing, it's gonna be bad for you. If you do this one thing, it's gonna be unhealthy for you. If you do this one thing, it's gonna affect your mental health, it increases your stress levels, it's undoubtedly gonna increase the anxiety and the tension that's in your life. If you do this one thing this year, it's gonna be destructive for you, so whatever you do, don't do this one thing that we're gonna be talking about today. You know, when I was a kid, I was about 14 years of age, I'd been asked to move from uh, football clubs from one place to another, and I can remember the very first time that I went to my first ever training session. I went and I'd already met the manager and he introduced me to the captain of that football club. And this is exactly how that introduction went. I stuck my hand out and I said, hey, I'm Luke, nice to meet you. The captain of this football club stuck his hand out and he said, hey Luke, and then what followed next, I was not expecting at all. He stuck his hand out and he said, hey Luke, and he kind of like just stared at me, looked at me to the left and looked at me to the right and he said, hey Luke, he said, whoa, you've got like the biggest ears ever. And I was like, seriously? Like, and up to that point in my life, the the God's honest truth is nobody had ever made that comment to me before. And I was kind of like, is this a thing now? I mean, do I actually have big ears? I mean, am I I Dumbo in disguise and everyone has just been kind to me in in previous, previous months and years and I was just never aware? I mean, how is this thing gonna play out? And literally, I can just remember like, the confidence sapping away from me. And from that point on, hands down, this is the truth. You know, in the same way that you girls, sometimes you'll meet somebody and then like within the the blinking of an eye, you can like go, hmm, and you look them up and down and you're able to like assess exactly everything about them. It's like that chemical exchange between these lobsters that we spoke about last week. It's like you can figure and work out everything from that quick, super fast glance from the top of their head to the tip of their toe. Well, Well, now, since I was 14, I do exactly the same thing, but I glance kind of like left and right. And I'm thinking, are your ears bigger than mine? Because are my ears actually big? Uh, Have I got an ear issue going on? And the absolute truth is, 
Until that guy had told me that, I didn't even know that I had big ears. I don't even know today that I've got big ears. But whether I have or whether I haven't, I've started to play this game and it's the comparison game. So now if anybody mentions my ears in the foyer, I'm just letting you know I'm totally up for a fight today. So don't do it, don't go there. It will be bad for the both of us. But now, for some reason, I feel this, this, this reason to compare the size of my ears with everybody else, all from that conversation with this 14-year-old captain of a football club. You know, when we first started this church, I've got to be honest with you, like my, my background was not um, in church world, it wasn't in ministry, I'd kind of spent years in the police force, that was my uh, context of my life. And when we started the church, we had no idea whether this thing was going to work at all. And one of the biggest pressures and the biggest tensions I felt when we started it was all about doing this very thing that I'm doing right now, like talking from the platform. It, you know, like some people grow up and they have these huge aspirations like, oh, I just want the stage. I just want the platform. Like, honestly, that was a million miles away from anything that I, I'd ever seen me doing. Actually, I wanted to go into the business world and that, that was probably where I saw my life going. And I never thought that I would end up doing this that I'm doing now. So when I did start to do it, I had this huge complex thing going on because I always felt that no matter who you would watch online or maybe on social media preaching, I always just felt that they were like, so much better than me. And I would play this comparison game and I would watch these American preachers from like the deep south in America. And I'd watch them wear their suits and their shiny pointy shoes and they'd come up on platform and have these huge churches and I would practice in my bedroom like how to say glory. And it was just kind of like, you know, it just doesn't come across all that very well and I'm not too sure that anybody would even know what that's about, and I feel the change in the atmosphere. And I'm like, what does that even mean anyway? I don't, I don't even know, but, but I was trying to learn all of these mad little phrases and sayings because I thought that that was what you had to do, and it took me a long time to kind of realize that actually it's kind of cool to just get up and have a conversation because really that's all we wanted to do in church is just have a conversation, and it's not because we think that we know it all. It's just that with the small amount of what we do know from having followed Christ for a long time, time and now having been in church world for a while, we feel that it can really benefit some others, but we just want to do it in a way of having a conversation. But nevertheless, it's really hard to not live your life kind of like comparing yourself to, to everybody else that's around you, especially because of social media these days, right? And the comparison game is the topic that we want to talk about because if you spend this year comparing what you have and what you do to someone else, it's going to be destructive for you. You spend this next year just comparing what you don't have against what somebody else has, even though you feel and think that you should have had the same thing that they've now got. It's going to affect your mental health. It'll increase your stress levels. It'll increase your anxiety levels. It'll give you all this kind of tension. You're never going to feel great about yourself. And it really is a bad, bad comparison trap that we can all fall into if we're not careful. So I'm gonna kind of give you what we wanna say at the end, right at the start, and it would simply be this. This year, we wanna show you why you shouldn't play the comparison game. You know, it's not helpful comparing yourself and what you have against what somebody else has because we all suffer from this ER problem, the ER problem. 
Because now it's no longer the case that you can compare yourself to someone like in your house or in your village or in your town. Now, because of the internet and because of the way in which social media works, you now have the ability to compare yourself with people globally, anybody around the entire world. This is kind of what you can now do. So you're always gonna find somebody that's gonna be skinny-er. You're always gonna find someone that's gonna be wealthy-er, smart-er. You're always gonna find someone that's got a bigger ER, a bigger er on the end of whatever it is that you don't feel great about yourself in. And this er problem just causes us to look around the world, just sometimes trying to compare what we have against what somebody else has. But when we see that they've actually got something better than us, it makes us feel terrible about ourselves. So we've got to choose not to play the comparison game this year. It's interesting that even Jesus spoke about this particular issue. I mean, even Jesus spoke about this topic in Matthew 25. You know, the New Testament is full of these things called parables, right? And these parables, they're, they're stories. In fact, they're stories that didn't factually happen. Now, does that mean Jesus was lying? No, it just means that he was telling a story. Normally, it would be to illustrate a point about what God was like. Typically, these parables, these stories, they would all start in a very similar way. Jesus would start by making this statement and it would often be something like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would start on with this parable. Or the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd start on this parable that would be trying to give us a picture in our mind of maybe what God is really like and the way in which God relates to us. But we've got to remember that these, these parables, they, they're parables, they're not actually true. They're stories that Jesus made up to make a point, to make it easy for us to stand exactly what God was like. But when Jesus was telling these parables, what's super interesting is there would always be typically one of three responses by Jesus to whoever he was in front of or around at that time in the telling of these parables. And they'd always end with one of these three ways. Firstly, he would end a parable and then he would try and expand the parable and give explanation to everybody that was in the, in the crowd to make it really obvious and clear exactly the meaning that he was trying to relate to them. But that wouldn't always happen. Sometimes he would like literally finish the parable and then he would maybe go up a mountainside with those that were close to him, those that were committed followers of Christ, those that were his disciples, and with his disciples, he might sort of sit around, maybe around a campfire, and he'd sort of have this conversation, and he'd engage them. He'd be like, you know, so, so what did you think of the parable? What, what did you make of it, Peter? What did you make of it, John? And they'd all sit around, and they'd talk about these parables as he would expand it further to them. But then there was another type of parable where literally Jesus would tell this story about the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God is like, trying to relay this idea to us about what the very character of God is like. And then when he'd get to the end of the parable, I mean, this is kind of like so annoying. He literally would just stop and move on without giving any explanation at all and just jump straight into the next parable. And on one hand, that is just so frustrating. And on the other hand, it's kind of like inspiring because it gives us the opportunity today to really go digging and fishing around what is that parable see, saying to us today? Because in every parable, you're always gonna find you and God. And it's a great question when you're reading a parable. It's to ask yourself the question like, where am I in this story? Where am I in this parable? And then ask the question, well, where is God in this parable? So 
I wanna go to a parable that's maybe subheaded in some of your Bibles as the parable of the talents. A talent typically refers to an amount of money, a portion of gold or silver. It could be large or it could be small. It's just a a measure of currency. And Jesus tells this parable and he uses this illustration of a guy who gives away, gives out some of his money, his talent. So let's go to Matthew 25. I'm gonna read from the NIV and we're gonna read from verse 14 onwards. And for your ease, this whole story is gonna come up on the screen for you. So Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. This was the part where he was saying like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, note that word, entrusted his wealth to them. He's not just giving them talent, money, currency. He's entrusting them with an amount of money. He's entrusting them with an amount of currency. And this is kind of different to maybe a lord or a master giving away some of his money because I guess the difference between giving and entrusting is that if you give something away, there's kind of like no strings attached, but when you entrust something to someone, you're giving a portion of what you own to someone else with the expectation that they will do with what you have given them, the same thing that you have been doing with that. You would hope that when you entrust somebody with something, that they would respond in a same way that you previously have responded when you had that item that you're now entrusting them. So these talents were, were, were not given, they were entrusted to these men. Verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So here we have a situation where Jesus is using this idea that there is a guy that's taken a long journey and he's got these three servants and and he's distributing to them different amounts of talents, different amounts of money, different amounts of currency. And like there's one guy that's really kind of super switched on, got a lot of potential, got a lot of ability, and he gives to that guy five bags of talent, five bags of gold. He gives to another guy two bags of talent, two bags of gold. And then he gives to the final guy one bag of currency. And I guess that this is where maybe if we were to, for the benefit of just this story today, kind of ask ourselves like, well, where are we in the story? I mean, you might be the five bagger, you might be the rapper two bag, you might even be one bag. We don't know where each and every one of us actually are, but just for the sake of the story, let's just assume that we're all rappers and we're all like, we're all a two bagger. We're just a two bag kind of guy. That's kind of where we are in the story. And let's see how this actually all pans out with regards to the way in which we end up relating to the master. Now remember, this is a parable. So we've got to ask ourselves, where am I and where is God in the story? Then he went on his journey, verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So simple, right? The guy that had a lot of potential, a lot of ability, he receives five bags of gold and then he does the wise thing. He does the smart thing. He takes the five bags of gold that have been entrusted to him and he's smart with it. He invests it. He does the right thing. And just by being smart, being wise, doing a few, making a few right moves, he's able to double the five bags of gold 
that was given to him by the master. He's just a smart guy. He invests it and he doubles the amount of money that he has. Verse 17. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So now what we've got is we've got a guy with five bags who goes and invests the five bags of gold and makes 10. And we've got the guy that was given two bags of gold who goes and invests and he now makes that into four. Verse 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. This is where the crowd around Jesus at this point, they will all have been going like, are you for real? He did what? He took the master's bag of gold and he buried it in the ground. They'd be like, that's just crazy. I mean, that's just absurd. Who would do that? Like what? A waste, and this would have shocked everybody in that audience. Verse 19, after a long time, a long time, a long time. It doesn't say short, it says long. Maybe even after a lifetime, but a long period of time goes by, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. So this is where he comes back after a long time and he's going to have the conversation. He's going to kind of say, you know, hey guys, how are we doing with everything that I've given you? Like, how have you responded to what I have entrusted you? How are you getting on with all of that? Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five master, he said. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now, everybody at this point would have absolutely gasped. Like, you brought back what? (gasps) Like, you were given five bags of gold and you brought back an additional five bags? Just so you know, this was like the equivalent of 30 to 40 years' salary. I mean, like, this is just incredible. They were like, this is a serious amount of money that you've got going on here. So then it goes on. It says, this is Jesus saying, again, it's a parable. So I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So the master in this parable is delighted at the fact that to the one that he entrusted five bags of gold coins, he was able to go and just make wise investments and bring back 10. You know, and I guess that in many respects, Jesus was, you know, delighted in the same way that you, if you are an employer or a boss or a director of a business, would be delighted if one of your employees, if one of the people that work for your company were given a portion of responsibility and were then able to go and grow that and make it successful to a greater level than they received it. I mean, you would do the same thing. You, are a, you would say you are trustworthy, you are faithful, this is just fantastic. What I gave you, you've been responsible with, this is tremendous news. But the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share the master's happiness. So he was saying the same thing to the two bag guy. You know, this would be us. He would be like, look, I am so delighted 
at what you've done, at what you've accomplished, at the areas that you've succeeded in with the utilization of what I've given you. You've used it well. You've done this incredibly well. This is just fantastic. But at the same time, it's probably the moment now where the Jaws music starts to come in. It's like, dun and dun and Like, what's gonna happen with the one bad guy? Dun and dun and It's like, how's this master gonna respond? Dun and dun and Like, this is gonna go crazily bad for him. And now we move on to what happens to the one bag. Verse 24, he says, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said. What's interesting is the guy that received one bag of gold and went and buried it in the ground, he didn't approach the master with the same language and the same tone that the two bag guy did and the five bag guy did. I mean, everybody else that went and approached Jesus, they all started by saying, master, you had entrusted me. They were saying like, master, we know that what we had was given to us by you. And then they went on to give an account for for what they'd accomplished. But the one bad guy, he didn't start by saying that at all. He didn't say, master, you have entrusted me. He didn't see it as being something that what was given to him was actually entrusted to him at all. In fact, he almost starts to point the finger. At this point, he actually starts to set up the scene for his argument for why this was all the master's fault. Like, you only gave me one bag and I'm gonna get all of my excuses in a row right now, so I'm gonna let you know before I even talk about this, like, I'm just gonna give you an explanation. I'm gonna give you the reasoning why I haven't done well with this. I'm gonna give you the reasoning right now for for the point of being why I didn't invest it in the same way as everybody else. I'm letting you know, master, that this is kind of, this is all on you, this is all your fault. And he says this, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. He was saying this, just before we even go into having this discussion, before we even go into having a conversation about what I have done or more to the point, what I haven't done with what you've entrusted to me, I just want you to know that actually I am petrified by you because you're the kind of guy, you're a little bit brutal, You're kind of like one of those people that expects to reap a reward in an area where you've never even sown seed before. You're the kind of guy that leaves no stone unturned. And because of that, just so you know, I'm now really afraid. I'm now really petrified because this really is all your fault because this is who you are. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Notice that he doesn't say what's entrusted to me. What he actually says is, here is what belongs to you. Like, this is all your fault. It's your thing anyway, God. This belonged to you. I had it for a period of time, but but it's yours. You didn't entrust anything to me. This is what belongs to you. And then check this out, verse 26. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servants. I mean, isn't this an uplifting message in church today, right? You know, he's just like going, you wicked and lazy servant. I mean, like, seriously, is that even in the Bible? Yeah, I promise you, you can check it out for yourself. But, but what's fascinating here is that the response that's given by the master to the guy that received one bag of gold was not because of anything that he'd done wrong. It wasn't like He'd had a moral failing. It wasn't like he'd made an error. It wasn't like he'd committed a sin. It wasn't like he'd acted in a way that had upset the master. He didn't do anything wrong at all. 
The reason why the master responded to him and was like, you wicked and evil servant, was because he didn't do anything at all with what the master had entrusted with him. It wasn't like he did anything immoral or illegal. He didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't do anything. And that caused the response that he received. The master continues, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You know, you can imagine the scene. Everybody in the crowd at that point would all have been like nudging each other, nodding their heads, going like, yeah, that's what I would have done. Of course you should have. Can you believe he just hid and buried that bag of gold? I mean, isn't that crazy? This isn't what I would do. I would never be found doing that. I just would have invested it in the bank and got my 1% interest or whatever it currently is. I'd have just done it that way, like nudging their friend. Like we'd have done that too, right? But this guy, he's just lazy. He was given something, one bag of gold, and didn't do anything with it. Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Now, this probably is where it all starts to sound a little unfair. Because Jesus says the master takes the one bag of gold that was hidden and buried in the ground, and he gives it to the guy that received five bags of gold and was able to invest it and multiply it to 10. All the crowd would have been like, Jesus, that doesn't sound fair, right? I mean, seriously, wouldn't it have been more fair if you split the one bag between the guy that you gave two bags of gold to and the guy that you gave five bags of gold to? Wouldn't that have been more fair? But Jesus was just making the point, no, no, the master's doing exactly the same thing that you would do. If you were the business guy, if you're the company director, if you're the manager that looks after staff, you, you look across your workforce, you look across your team, and you look at the skills and the talents that people have, and if you see somebody totally just not doing a job, you take the responsibility off them, and what do you do? You give it to somebody who's proven to actually handle the responsibility well. So it was just kind of like Jesus was saying, I'm going to do the same thing that we would all do, because this makes heaps of sense. Verse 29, 4. Whoever has been given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. But this is the moment right now that I've got to kind of, I've got to set the alarm off. I've got to set the sirens go. And it's like, remember, this is a parable. It's a story. This didn't actually happen. So like strap in the seatbelt, get ready for what Jesus is about to say. The master responded to this guy, verse 30, and now he says this. This is so uplifting and encouraging. He says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the crowd will have been like, did he just like throw somebody in hell because he didn't handle his money well? Hey, church, time has gone. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray together. (laughs) You see, look, I don't think he's actually saying that at all. He's not saying, no, no, if you don't handle your money well, you're going to hell. He's not saying that at all. You know, the whole kind of idea in the text that's being used about there being weeping and gnashing of teeth, people often interpret that as being like a place of pain. But but what if it's not about being a place of pain? What if it's actually about a place of frustration? Because if you'd been given a bag of gold and been irresponsible with it and not invested it wisely, would you not do the same thing that I would do, which was like, oh, I can't believe that I didn't do that with that bag of gold. Or like, oh, I can't believe that that business deal went wrong. Oh, I can't believe that that relationship didn't work out. It's more about frustration than it is about pain. 
But then what's so annoying is like we get to the end of this parable and now where we're expecting Jesus to expand on it all, do you know what He does? Nothing, nothing. I mean, like he literally, He just goes on and He moves into the next parable and it's like, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, Jesus. You're like making a really sincere point. Like, what is that about? Are you gonna make it easier for us right now? But He doesn't. He just goes straight into the next parable. So sometimes when you read in Scripture, what you've got to do is you've, you can't almost look at one piece of text in isolation. You've got to kind of look and see what's happening not only in that chapter, but you've got to kind of get around the barbecue and smell the meat and not just look and cook at what's directly in front of you. You've got to look at what's happening before and what's happening afterwards. And it's only when you start to compile all of the parables together towards the end of Matthew that I think that the point that Jesus is trying to make in life, and it's the same for us today as it was for those guys that were hearing this story back then, it would simply be this. What you do with what you have is way more important than what you have. What you do with what you have is more important than what you have. And yet, here is the tension. Because what do we do? We compare ourselves in our lives with everybody else locally and globally according to what we have. Jesus was like, no, no, totally misunderstanding this because your life is not about what you have and you obtain and you accumulate. What's most important with your life in terms of your accountability to God is what you do with what you already have. It's that that counts. What you have, what you've been entrusted with is far less important than what you do. You see, all of us are the same. We've all got two hands and typically in our life, we walk around carrying something in both hands. On one hand, we've, we've got a something. We've got a start in life. We've got a context and the context of my life is very different to yours. The context of your life is gonna be very different to that who sat near or around you in this auditorium. But we all have a something. We have a friendship circle, a network of friends. We've got a business that we're involved in. We've all got a level at which we started at, or we've got a something in terms of our intelligence. We've all got a something. We've all got maybe a job, a career, a profession. We've all maybe got a small amount of money that we're entrusted with every single month, every single week. We've all got a something, but everyone's something is gonna be different. And then in the other hand, we've, we've all got a story and not one of our stories is ever going to be the same but typically our story is governed by what we've done and how we've handled our something that we've been entrusted with. And the story of our life, and some of them can be really, you know, sad, and you've maybe got a sorry story because something happened to you, and maybe your sad, sorry story is you know, more sad than my sad story, sorry story, but we've all got a story kind of like, you know, who we are, how we think, where we were brought up, how we've handled what we've had in life so far. So we have to somehow balance the something that we have with the story in life that we've all got. But the question for us that follow Christ, as we now determine to finish this year better than we started out, the real question that we've all got to fathom out is what are you going to do with what God has entrusted with you? 
It's not about what is someone else going to do with what God has entrusted to them because you will never be asked to give an account for someone else's life. The only life that you're responsible for is your own. So what are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? And yet it's so tempting. And I do the same thing, right? This is hard for us all. You know what we do? We, we look at our something and then we start to look at other people's lives and we start to almost think that, God, if, if you'd have just done something different in my life, more similar to what you did in their life, then the outcome of my life would be better. We start to think that, God, if, if you'd have just saw to it that I was brought up living in that neighbourhood that they grew up in, or God, if I went and studied at that location where they studied, things would be different for me. Or God, if I did things differently, or if I had a different set of friends, or maybe if I had a different set of parents like their parents, then it would have been different for me. And we do this all the time. We start to compare all of our some things. And we start to think that if we did that, if we had their level of health, if we had their level of money, I mean, man, how different would it be for me if I just had their money and their job? And I think that God's like, no, no, it's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have is what really counts and what's really important because when we live a life of comparison and we compare our something and our story to someone else, do you know what we're doing? We're doing exactly the same thing that the guy that was given one bag of gold coins did to the master. We're saying with the essence of like, God, what, what I've done with my life so far and what I'm gonna end up doing with my life so far, this is, this is all your fault. Like, this is down to you, God. Like, listen, it would have been different for me. It would have been better for me if only I'd have had the same A, B, C, D, and the list can go on and on and on. But the moment we live a life of comparison, we almost start to shift the blame onto God and say, well, God, this is your fault. When actually, the one thing that all God wants you to do well in life with is what is already trusted to you. So whatever that is. Maybe it's a place in work. Maybe it's a portion of finance. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's a business opportunity. Like whatever it is that you do, do it to the best of your ability because that's what's in your hand. That's what God's entrusted to you. And the fact that He's not entrusted to you five bags of gold and maybe you're just a two bag, that's totally cool because it's okay that someone else is a five bag. But the crazy thing is, is do you know what we always do? Is we start to look at the two bags that we get and maybe we do a little bit well with it and we create four bags. But then we start to look on someone else that's got five bags that creates 10. You know what we do? We then start to really foolishly, and we're all the same in this, we compare our four bags to their 10 bags. And the crazy thing is, is we start to go, well, God, why have they got 10? I mean, like, am I just rubbish at life? Am I not good at this? I mean, God, how come they were able to exceed in a way that was just above and beyond all that I am? Am I not smart enough? Am I not intelligent enough? Why is this the context of my life? But, but here's the thing, you can't compare your life with someone else's life because you can't compare your four bags with someone else's 10 bags unless the starting place is the same. You can't compare the two bags that gets to four with the guy that has five bags that gets to 10 because the starting point is not the same. So with your life, 
with the something that God has entrusted to you, with the story that you have. Make sure this year that you understand it's what you do is way more important than what you have. Can you imagine? Just imagine for a moment the difference that it would really make in your family as a parent, someone in business, as someone in ministry. Can you imagine the difference it would make in your marriage if you no longer felt the need to compete and compare what you have and what you don't have with someone else? I mean, let's just go bigger for a moment. Can you just imagine the kind of positive impact that we, Liverpool One Church, could make on our city if we just became the kind of Christ followers that simply chose to do the best that we possibly can with what God has already given us rather than looking and comparing to the left and to the right and moaning and groaning to God because it's not that way for us as it is for someone else. Could you imagine the benefit that people in our community would feel if we would just choose to stop living life comparing? Because you can only give an account for your life and no one else's. So Liverpool One Church, let's make sure that we value what we do way more significantly than what we have throughout the rest of this year. Church, let's stand to our feet, we're gonna pray.